The main takeaway that we had in, in our experience is you can't expect the elections office to do outreach and education alone. We aren't really in a position to explain why the community adopted ranked choice voting, and that was really the question that was left unanswered in Arlington. So you do need somebody who can explain why your community is choosing to do ranked choice voting. And just like any other elections policy, we don't ask the elections office to explain why a specific election policy was passed. It's unrealistic to expect your elections office to explain why your community is implementing ranked choice voting. You're entering the voting booth. I'm John Fortier of AEI. And I'm Don Palmer with the Election Assistance Commission. Welcome to the podcast that looks at the inner workings of elections. Our guest today is Gretchen Reinemeyer. She is the General Registrar and Director of Elections for Arlington County. Now, she's been appointed since 2019, but she started way before that in that office. She actually began her career in elections as a poll worker when she was 18 years old, where she served with her mother on Mother's Day. And that may be a story we talk about. But since then, she she has gotten the bug of elections and she has served in the Arlington office since 2008, where she has served voters, particularly with voter registration and now as the general registrar. She's done additional things, serving as an observer in international elections with the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And welcome to the podcast, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I think today we have uh, an incredible array of talent from Virginia. Um, you know, Don, of course, used to run elections in Virginia. I am a Virginia voter. In fact, I'm an Arlington voter. Mm-hmm. I vote in your jurisdiction. And of course, Gretchen, running elections in Arlington County. We want to start with something that Arlington County has done recently, the first in Virginia, and something that has caught on around the country in some places. And that is, you had a ranked choice voting election. And first, we want to hear what that is. But then we really want to hear what it's like from an administrator's perspective to run a ranked choice voting election. So. I'll give a very broad description of ranked choice voting, but then you tell us more and tell us about the Arlington version. Ranked choice voting essentially is you have multiple candidates, and like you might have a runoff in another election where where it narrows down to two candidates, you actually narrow down the field with people putting their choices of first, second, third, fourth, and the lowest candidate eliminated, the other candidates pitted against each other with with their preferences reassigned, and ultimately getting down to two candidates where, where somebody can get to 50% of the vote or more. That's a loose description, but you tell us what it is and what the Arlington version is. Yeah, so ranked choice voting really is an umbrella term that's uh, talking about two different types of uh, elections. So you have, and it depends on how many persons you're electing to that office. So if it's just a single off seat office, um, so governor, lieutenant governor, mayor, something like that, that you're looking for um, 50% a candidate to get 50% to be elected. And this is similar to any other state that uses a 50% threshold that has a runoff election. Ranked choice voting in a single seat race is just a simpler way to get to that runoff election without the cost of having to run that second election. The implementation that we just did in Arlington is a little bit more complicated. It's called single transferable vote. We were choosing the Democratic nominee for our county board race and we were electing two seats. 
So when you're use, electing two seats, it is a little bit more complicated. Instead of trying to get that 50% threshold, we're trying to get candidates that represent 30%, 34% in our particular election of the it won the nominee, then they'll move forward to the general. So Gretchen, you know, ranked choice voting has become a little bit of a controversy. Mm-hmm. And so you, you as a general registrar, you know, your charge would actually, okay, we got to implement this. We got to work with the state and with our, with our uh, folks here at Arlington County, you know, talk about how you implemented it with all an educated voters with sort of mm-hmm. this, the, the sort of the whirlwind of controversy and sort of scrutiny yes. of your office because everyone's watching, everyone's looking. Yes. <laughs> Tell us what you did and how you got through this process. Yeah. So the first thing that we needed to run this election is we were granted the authority to use ranked choice voting by our General Assembly. And then our county board subsequently adopted ranked choice voting as the method for this specific election that we just ran in June. From there, we the state had to draft the tabulation rules where they really got into the details of what happens if they're a tie, how do we determine the formulas of the winners. So the state took over that. And then what we were really interested in Arlington is, did we have the equipment that could meet the regulations that the state had passed? So we had to test several different voting systems and tabulation systems to make sure that they were actually tabulating the election that adhered to the rules that were passed by the state board. And Don mentioned, maybe I just follow up for him, about the question of voter education outreach. So for many voters, this is a new process. They're not used to it. You and the state and others had to had to tell people mm-hmm. how to vote in a more basic way than typically. So so how yeah. did that work? Yeah, so the way when we started talking to voters about ranked choice voting, we quickly realized that voters learned more when we had a one-on-one conversation with them and we knew that we probably weren't going to be able to effectively educate voters about this election on social media and we really needed to explain it to them in more of a grassroots setting. So the method that we approached in Arlington is we really tried to go out into the community and we put together a couple different workshops where voters could see how ballots were counting and we used um, a sample ballot where voters got to rank their favorite ice cream. Um, and we had two different models of this workshop that and we went to 20 different community groups over the course of lead up to this election and any voter that came in and had questions because it was a primary election where things are a little bit slower we were able to take the time if they wanted to to explain really how tabulation worked for the specific election and did you have more questions at the site at the polling locations and what, what 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 were your poll workers reactions to that? What, what, what was the feedback of how, how it went on election day or the days that people showed up to vote yeah. this way? So we definitely saw the range of emotions for <laughs> ranked choice voting. Some people did not like it. Some people came in, they had done their homework and they really did like it. Vast majority of voters, just like any other election, really didn't have an opinion one way or another about ranked choice voting. We simply explained to them that they would be ranking their candidates. They only got one vote as opposed to the traditional two votes that they would have gotten. And a vast majority of voters just understood it, marked their ballot and went on their way. So ranking the candidates, it sort of seems sort of fascinating. It's sort of like, well, this is my primary selection, but if he or she is not selected, then this is who I would vote yes. for. And then going down the road, depending on how many candidates you are, it could be three or 30. Mm-hmm. So what are the lessons learned from 
you know, your experience with ranked choice voting, maybe you can speak for other registrars as well. Yeah. I mean, I think what are some of the lessons learned and what's the short term and long term future of ranked choice voting with certain localities in Virginia? Yeah. So the main takeaway that we had in, in our experience is you, the, you can't expect the elections office to do outreach and education alone. We aren't really in a position to explain why the community adopted ranked choice voting. And that was really the question that was left unanswered in Arlington. So you do need somebody who can explain why your community is choosing to do ranked choice voting. And just like any other elections policy, we don't ask the elections office to explain why a specific election policy was passed. It's unrealistic to expect your elections office to explain why your community is implementing ranked choice voting. In terms of where ranked choice voting will go in Virginia, I do think in Arlington County we are likely to look at it again for the Democratic primary for county board next year. And I do uh, think other cities and counties are considering it for next year. Our elections are a little bit off cycle, so I don't think... Arlington is unique in that we have a county board seat up every year on the ballot. A lot of other cities and counties in Virginia, they only elect those seats uh, every two or four years. So a lot of them aren't going to have the opportunity to implement ranked choice voting until 2025 at this point. So, John, I don't know if you have another question, but I just think it's fascinating that it's so close to Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. the ranked choice voting has been kind of controversial. And here you were just miles from the nation's capital. I'm sure you had a lot of folks watching this process. We it definitely at times felt like it was what we would experience in a presidential, the amount of attention that we would receive. So in a presidential election, there's just a lot more media interest and inquiries. And we don't normally see that in a Democratic primary for local office. That is for That's sure. That's true. So, so, yeah. So let me I, I'm interested yeah. to get a little more in the weeds here. So yeah. so you are running an election where you're going to have to have ballots printed up. They're different kind of ballots. Right. Yeah. So So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about your your current technology, your machines, mm-hmm. your, your scanning machines, which how did those work? What were the issues there? And I, I have one more follow-up, but tell us that. <laughs> so that was, uh, like I said, from an administration perspective, the first thing we wanted to do is make sure that our voting equipment could run the election that we were being asked to run. And as an election administrator, that's the first thing you will want to do um, because every vendor has different capabilities for producing a, rank, a ballot that has ranked choice voting on it. Our specific vendor did have a limitation, so voters were not asked to rank every candidate. They could only rank up to their three candidates. And that's where every voting machine vendor that I'm aware of, certified for use by the EAC, is has an upper limit on how many candidates you will be allowed to rank in a specific race. So the ballot, programming the ballot, it's really not that different than other elections. It's just a setting in the software that produces the ballot that has that ranked choice voting office on it. When we get into ballot design, once again, um, the software does a bulk of the ballot design, and there's very little we can do to change it once it's been programmed. So there are certain things that we think we noticed um, voter error rates. Um, specifically, we probably need to have our vendor add vertical lines in between the ovals where voters are ranking their candidates. And we think that will reduce errors that we were seeing in voters mistaking, making mistakes in how they were marking their ballot. Now, yeah. again, I wonder, I know yeah. we have in a typical election, non, non-righteous voting election, yeah. some checks at the, at the stage of scanning, the voter will yes. scan the ballot and perhaps the voter has overvoted, mm-hmm. put two, two marks on the candidates, which would cause their ballot to be thrown out, or perhaps they've left it blank. Uh, there's often some 
backup or some some protection to, to keep you from doing that is that different in the ranked choice voting world yeah the protections are still in place and there's actually an additional protection in place so there in ranked choice voting you can overvote so you can vote for too many candidates this is so traditionally uh, when you have two candidates that you're electing voters would able be able to vote for two and this election they were only allowed one vote but that vote could go across three rounds so we did have voters that were still trying to vote for two candidates the way they would traditionally vote in this election and so the scanner did reject that um, and it did give them an error that they had overvoted in that race so that we had the opportunity to help them correct their ballot. And then it also tells them if they did a duplicate ranking. So what we don't want you to do is rank your first choice candidate first, second, and third, because that doesn't help that candidate's chance of winning. So what it would do is if you had ranked the same candidate across all three rounds, it would reject it for being a duplicate ranking as well. And was there some pattern afterwards looking back at the data of types of errors that people made that were more yeah, common? Yeah. So when we first started early voting, um, we were seeing a high number of spoiled ballot rates compared to early voting in other elections. And it was specifically with that county board race using ranked choice voting. And it looked like a lot of voters were choosing more than one candidate in a round. So with that, we were able Meaning to- they were putting a couple candidates as yes. their first choice. Yeah, they candidate were... A and candidate B were both their first choice, yes. which would cause their ballot to be thrown out if they yes. didn't fix that, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So with that, we were able to tailor the instructions that we were giving to voters when they were getting their ballots. And by the end of it, we were able to reduce that spoilage rate back to be within the normal range that so we would see in any other election. And by the end, the mistakes that voters were making, they knew they had made a mistake and the mistakes really were based on that ballot design where they just got off on like their rows and their columns because we didn't have adequate lines in place to help them fill in the right oval. So the last thing, I guess I want you to walk us through the end of the process. Yeah. You're going to get the, like you would, you get to election day and now you've got the the inputs that the voters have made. You've got the ballots. They've been scanned. But you have to tabulate them, and it's yes. different in a different way. And, and both I want to hear from, I know Don mentioned how much scrutiny you were getting. Maybe maybe there was a little bit of interest in this process, maybe more than usual, but also just how it went and what some of the challenges were, what you were thinking about in trying to tabulate and get to a final result that you would do differently than in another election. Yeah, so normally when polls close on election night, precincts will start calling in results and that we'll be able to get a sense of how the election is going. With ranked choice voting, you can't really do that. You can't run subsequent rounds. You can't start eliminating candidates until all of the votes are in. And in Virginia, this is complicated a little bit because we'll accept mail ballots up to three days after the election. In addition, we have provisional votes um, that are still being adjudicated after the election. So we couldn't run the subsequent rounds of tabulation until a majority of those votes were in. So our county board candidates, they knew where they stood in the first round election night, but we had to rate to do any of the other rounds until the very earliest Friday after the election. And this is one of those things that is rather unique to this election. Normally when we're releasing results, it's late election night. We might have the media in our office, but they are not there watching us tabulate as we go with this election. We actually put out a a uh, press release, our um, social media posts at 3.30 in the afternoon on Friday, saying that we would tabulate results at 5 o'clock that night. And we had a room packed full of people with candidates, county administrator, the press um, there watching us as we went through the entire tabulation process. 
of bringing in all of the votes from all of our machines, all of our precincts into a central computer and running through tabulation. So they were there live in the room as the results were published and run. I guess we'll just wrap up this with, does Arlington County or your office plan to do sort of a report on the entire process, you know, beginning to end, sort of like so the public can see what worked, what didn't work, what things might need to be improved? We've certainly done some of that. I know the state is working on a report um, based on our experience, and we have done some reports to our county board. Um, Those were done in July, and if there are additional questions, we're obviously available and happy to answer. Okay. So I, I want to shift to another point. Let's talk about 2023 and yeah. 2024. We have elections actually in the Commonwealth of Virginia and obviously in 2024. You know, I I think I can assume that a lot of local election officials and state officials are defending sort of the voting process, the voting mm-hmm. systems themselves. Um, and so that's an ongoing challenge. But it, you know, are there other issues that you know, the local registrars are, are sort of concerned about or anticipating and working on in anticipation of this year and next year in, in the Commonwealth? That's a really good question. Virginia does have an election every year, and this fall, Virginia has its entire House of Delegates and Senate up for re-election. And the real concern that Virginia election administrators have is we don't know how that election will shape out. So right now we have Democratic-controlled Senate and a Republican-controlled House, which means that a lot of election bills haven't really been able to work through both chambers. Should we see either both of those houses flip or one of those houses flip where we have a majority in both houses and the governor's office? We don't actually know what election laws we could be running the presidential election under for next year. And so that is it's very difficult to put together a budget or to plan if we don't know really what the landscape will be for the laws going into the presidential election year. So that is probably the biggest concern for local election administrators now is we'll, we'll do our job, but just not being able to really predict what 2024 will look like at this point. And, and just following up on that, there's been some recent changes over the last couple of yes. years. Yeah. Uh, same day registration. Yes. Sort of a more expansive or no, no excuse yes. in person absentee or early voting, sort of. I guess some of those have not been in place for a presidential or, or have they? You know? They have not been in place. So, for, yes. I mean, obviously, that's just a different type of election. Yes. So what are your thoughts about Obviously, we don't know if the rules might change <laughs> yeah. before that. But yeah. what are your thoughts about sort of the changes and how that might work? in a general election setting. Yeah, so same-day registration was new to Virginia last year, and what we have seen with same-day registration is it is definitely clear that counties and cities that have high uh, student populations, university populations, are seeing a majority of the same-day registrations, and it is extremely difficult for some of these smaller offices to get those voter registration applications processed in time to still certify the election seven days after the date of the election. So that is a major concern for local election administrators, especially going into a presidential, when we expect the number of same-day registrations to increase potentially by a lot. So you're a a local election official. I know we were were talking earlier. I think people don't appreciate some of the the work of a local election official really deals with poll workers, but also polling locations. And like you to talk a little bit about that, and especially because Virginia has had a lot of change. Don mentioned the mm-hmm. the way in which we vote. There's been a kind of early voting, which was absentee voting, and it's a little mm-hmm. lo- uh, looser now. But you have both 
election day polling sites. You have some potential for early-ish polling sites. How does that work from an election administrator's perspective in relation to the state, in relation to uh, the county board, Mm -hmm. in the types of facilities you need? What what are you thinking about when you are a local election administrator in that field? Yeah, so one of the two most difficult parts about running an election is finding polling locations and finding the people to staff those locations. A lot of places, especially now with increased uh, security threats, aren't willing to serve as polling locations in the way that they used to. And we're seeing that not just in Arlington, but across the country. And without enough polling locations, you will inevitably have longer lines because you're just asking more voters to go to the limited number of locations that you have. In terms of, and in Virginia, it's complicated because I might know that I need a polling location, but it really is up to my county board to decide on where that polling location will be and to draw those precinct boundaries. Sometimes they follow our recommendations, sometimes they don't. But as an electoral board, we don't necessarily have control over where our polling locations are or what those precinct boundaries are. We're just asked to work with what we've been given. And then just you do have, again, a form of early voting or or a kind of absentee voting without excuse that you can do uh, at some some countywide facilities. Anywhere in the county you can, anyone in the county can vote at several of these facilities. Can you talk about some of the challenges of running those, the the need to interact with the state voter registration database, the, yeah. the way in which they work? What are you thinking about as a local election official there? Virginia is unique in that we have what essentially boils down to 45 days of early voting. It's not necessarily called early voting in our law. It's in-person, no-excuse absentee voting, and this was a change that started during the last presidential election. So essentially, any voter in Virginia can show up to their local county office 46 days before the election, and they need to be given a ballot and be allowed to vote in person. So it essentially is the equivalent of 46 days of early voting. And it makes it very difficult to plan an election because you don't know which percentage of your voters are going to choose to vote early, by mail, or on election day. And so you basically have to plan for 130,000 voters to vote at any each one of these methods. And so when it comes to no excuse early voting, we are limited in the amount of space that we have at our office. The law states that we have to do early voting at our office. So what we've done in Arlington, because we are in an urban environment, is we actually have to create satellite offices in our parks and recreations facilities in the lead up to a major election to kind of pull traffic away from our central office so that voters have an opportunity to vote elsewhere in the locality. Let's go back to the poll worker. Now, you actually mm-hmm. started I did, your career yeah. as a poll worker, and it was sort of a chance opportunity. You know, you, you mentioned that there's been a drop-off in poll workers. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when I look at the aging population that still serves as sort of the backbone of, poll, of the poll worker force, it's concerning because eventually they're going to retire, and they are retiring. Yeah. You know, what can we do? You know, the EAC has a couple of programs to recruit poll workers, but talk about the importance of a poll worker and how we might do a better job of recruiting them. Arlington County is fairly lucky in that a majority of our workforce, they do work for the government as a day job. So we generally don't have too much trouble getting poll workers, but I do know nationally that it is always a struggle finding the right, and you really need the right people there that that are able to get a crash course in election law and then be able to run the election for you. So there are definitely things that that we could do is I would love to see more businesses encourage their employees to go work at the polls. 
I know Arlington County gives people eight hours of civil leave if they go work at the polls, not necessarily for my office, but they can go work wherever they happen to live. So there are certainly programs like that that we could see the business community doing to help with the poll worker shortage. We've moved as a country to to more voting by mail, but Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the infrastructure around that and especially the possibility of really a voter tracking their ballot or understanding where their ballot is in the process. I have a very personal story. You may not remember this. Again, I am an Arlington voter, but you helped my my son cast his first ballot when he was away at college. Mm-hmm. And it had to. Do, there was some question of, was he going to get his ballot? And there was some early tracking software at the time, which mm-hmm. was not perfect and, and, and yeah. really didn't. And, and at the end of the day, Arlington really came through for my son. So I'm, I'm very proud of all of you and thank you for your work. But but there is now, I think, the ability for voters to really understand where their ballot is, when they're requesting their ballot, when they're getting their ballot, where the ballot is in transit, when it's being mm-hmm. counted. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so tell us about that and how that's evolving. What, what do you think is important in that area? The ability to track a mail ballot really is a partnership with the United States Postal Service, and it's really important that your locality leverage the tools that the USPS has in place for their intelligent barcodes so that voters can track their ballot all the way to their door to get it, but and then when they return it to the office. And so Virginia does use a system where you can subscribe to get a text or an email update to be notified of your ballot and its various steps. It isn't, like I said, it isn't a perfect system because we're only tracking ballots through the mail. That doesn't necessarily track them through our office. We do have a separate system where a voter can go in and see if their ballot was accepted. But sometimes that's one of those public communication problems trying to educate voters that you can go here to track your ballot and here to see track your ballot in the office. As a local election official, you know, one of the big issues, you know, basically it impacts the local, state and, and federal sort of involvement in election is the funding of elections. Yes. And and talk to me about some of the how you see the role of the state and the federal government in assisting, you know, an Arlington County or mm-hmm. other other localities in Virginia. I think it's important that our view is sort of hear how that process works. Yeah, in Virginia, the elections run in Arlington County are almost exclusively run, are paid for by Arlington County taxpayer dollars. There are a couple systems like our voter registration system and the online voter registration portal that are supported by the state, but the actual staffing, finding locations, programming equipment, paying for ballots, everything really associated with that election is paid for by local tax dollars. In terms of the role in federal government, we're certainly seeing greater support and making sure that some federal funding is being prioritized for some of the national priorities around security. So physical security, making sure localities can get federal funding for increased security in their facilities, our cybersecurity efforts. So I'm actually interested in something you said earlier. You mentioned that Virginia has now gone to uh, same-day registration, which in some smaller jurisdictions with a lot of college students or people who live in mm-hmm. two places, essentially, they live maybe with their parents and they also have a residence and they want to register to vote there, that there might be a bottleneck where registrars are overwhelmed by the number of these that come mm-hmm. in and it perhaps delays the counting. But can you talk a little bit more generally about the counting and ultimately getting to the certification process and some of the 
the challenges are voting has gotten much more complicated. We, mm-hmm. we, we have much more voting by mail generally. Sometimes mm-hmm. ballots come in later. We have provisional ballots, which take a while to reserve, mm-hmm. r- resolve. There's the question of you know, when those ballots should be due, when you can start processing them. So think a little bit about, you know, let us know what the obstacles are. And maybe if you wanted to you know, design a system where you thought you could actually more efficiently or more quickly process those ballots, get us a result more quickly, what, what would you say about that? That's a really good question. So I think one of the main things that election administrators can do is to inform the public of how many potentially how many potential ballots are outstanding after election night. And that's one of the things that historically we haven't been great at doing. The way we report precincts will tell we will show how many precincts are reporting. But the way the precincts work in Virginia is that I will have a precinct for early voting and a precinct for mail ballots, which could account for 70% of the votes cast in a specific election. So just because 99% of election day precincts are reporting, we still have 70% of the vote that is outstanding. So that is one of those things. Virginia has gotten, is working, rolling out a new election night reporting system that's trying to do a better job of explaining how many ballots are still outstanding left to be counted after election day that could impact the result if that race is tight. In terms of more efficient processing, we are statutory limited. If it says that we will accept ballots until the Friday after the election, then we will accept mail ballots until the Friday after the election. What we do to plan to make for efficient counting, and normally we are pretty efficient, I would like to say most of the delays that we're seeing are delays that are caused by law. And so and so once we, we hit that deadline, we process everything we have and we can generally get those results out in an hour or two because we've done everything we can up till that point. In terms of the process after the election, I do think it's important to know that the Electoral Board in Virginia, they do audit every precinct's results to make sure that the numbers that were reported election night by the election workers are the ones that have been reported on the website. And uh, in Virginia, we are given seven days to go through that post-election canvas. And if there are any anomalies in there, the Electoral Board has the authority to go in and request materials from the courts to look at and if there are any anomalies that they discover during that process. And, so. and if you're, again, in your, your ideal reporting system, which you're developing, yeah. if you were to say where you think that in the day or two after the election, where most of those ballots, which are, are you haven't gotten to yet, are, are, is it because of the deadline that, that ballots, absentee ballots come in? Is it provisional ballots? Is it these same day? Or is it ballots left over that have been put in that just need to be processed? Where's the bulk of the issue for the ballots that aren't quite counted by Election Day? Yeah. So for us in Virginia, really, we have two tranches of ballots. It really are the provisional ballots that from same day registered. So if you're registering to vote using same day registration, your ballot is held and is considered a provisional ballot. And that will account for at least 50 percent of those ballots that are counted after the election. And then we also have the mail ballots that come in and that Wednesday, Thursday and Friday after the election. And it's not a huge percentage that we're seeing in Arlington. But once again, with presidential on the horizon, we do anticipate same day registration. The more people are familiar with it, we do anticipate that we will start seeing those numbers increase, which just mean that those ballots will all have to be held until after the election to be processed. So, Gretchen, I want to follow up on, on the funding issue. I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to that for a yeah. second. You're, you're a member of a professional association, the Virginia mm-hmm. Registrar's Association yes. of Virginia. You also are a member of sort of a the, the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia mm-hmm. election officials group that meets. My concern is 
you, you talked about the need for most most of this funding is at the local level, and when you have such a, a disparity between urban and rural mm-hmm. counties, my concern is always is that the, the, the rural counties, the smaller counties, are not sort of providing the same level of service and ability mm-hmm. to, because they just don't have the resources. Is there a way to resolve that in with such a decentralized system, in your mind, as you see it from, you know, from the professional association point of view? It's, it is an interesting question. So what we are trying to do with the Virginia Registrars Association is that we are trying to educate. So it's if you can share the workload or the burden across these smaller jurisdictions. So somebody created a form here, then we can, then other localities can use it over here. And in that with the education, so knowing that some, of, especially our Northern Virginia jurisdictions are going to be funded and they do have more staff, that sometimes they will be doing stuff that the rest of the state can can so sh- replicate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In terms of funding, it's the way elections historically were run in Virginia, it is a very locally funded operation. And in order for that to change, it would require the state taking over some of some. So it's one of those localities are responsible for purchasing their voting equipment. So if the state uh, doesn't have any control, if they were to say you have to go with a specific vendor, then realistically, they're probably going to have to provide funding for localities to purchase that voting equipment. But with that state funding and that state control, there are also challenges that come with that. That's right. So, so, so yeah. the Commonwealth could, they could appropriate monies for new voting systems or yes. or that sort of infrastructure, like a voter registration system. They, they uh, actually and, have. They're building a new voter registration system. And provide that service to yep. localities and, give, and still give options to. Yeah to uh, localities. Yeah, but it's just the way historically elections were run in under the code of Virginia. Right. Prior to general registrars, there were precinct registrars. So to register to vote in Arlington in 1940, you needed to go to the house of the precinct registrar in your community to be added to the list of roles. My position of general registrar was only created in 1950. And that's when we went from elections being run, registration being run at a precinct level to a county or city level. And so the local electoral board was really responsible for running the election. It's only over time that we've really seen more of the state board develop and have more funding and, yeah, more authority. So we always end our podcast with two common questions. I'll I'll pose the first and I'll let Don pose the second. So uh, first, tell us how you got into elections, but then talk to your former self, the self that was there before you knew about running elections. And what, what was the misconception that that former self had about elections? What, 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 what would you tell them? As Don mentioned during the intro, I worked my first election as a poll worker in 2001. I was 18 years old and I worked for my mom. Um, she was the precinct judge down in Harris County, Texas. So that was really how I got my start. Uh, when I came to Arlington in 2008, I was I came to Arlington for graduate school and I needed a part-time job. My mom recommended that I apply with the elections office because it was 2008, it's a presidential election, every elections office in the country needs temporary help. So they hired me and I just continued working through graduate school and then eventually was hired permanently, full-time, and then became the registrar. And then because I started so young in elections, 
it's it's hard to imagine my pre-election administrator self because I, I have been working in an elections office for most of my adult life. But one of the things that I don't think I knew was really how different how different elections operate. So there are small turnout elections and how important those small turnout elections are. And um, you have to do all of the work for an election where two or three percent show up. You don't get to take any shortcuts just because turnout's going to be lower. And so that was one thing that I don't think I necessarily realized how important every election really was in the whole scope of, of our democracy. So. so you've been involved in elections for a couple of decades now. And so tell us a funny or unusual story about elections that you that you just sort of still laugh at. There are so many. So one thing in Arlington, because we are located so close to the nation's capital, we have a lot of what we call VIP voters. So um, back when we had excuse-based absentee voting, voters had to fill out a long application before we were able to let them vote. And one of the reasons to vote absentee was that they worked outside of the county. Well, that applies to most of the people in Arlington, but in order to claim that reason, you had to list the name of your employer. Well, we would have a number of voters that would claim that they couldn't tell me who they worked for. They were so important, they couldn't list their employer on the sheet of paper. (laughs) And at the end of the day, I have a line that's an hour long. I don't know how much I care who they work for. Um, But right at the very end, one of the last elections we had where we still used excuse-based absentee voting, we had a voter who very boldly and big on the application wrote that she worked for the CIA. And I was shocked because I had had so many voters who over the years couldn't tell me who they work for to see somebody so proudly claim that they worked for the CIA. Um, I did have to ask her about it, and she was very much like, it's so nice to not be undercover anymore and to be able to tell people that I work for the CIA. You know, we have a thousand stories of like working around Secret Service, trying to get some of these voters in and out of the voting booth, um, and trying to serve all of our voters equally, no matter where they are, because we do have the Pentagon and the Foreign Service Training Institute. We do see voters from all over the country, all over the world. Gretchen Rademeyer, General Registrar of Arlington County, thank you for joining us in the voting booth. Thank you. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you for listening to The Voting Booth, a podcast of the American Enterprise Institute. This program was produced by Jay Hung Lee and hosted by John Fortier and Don Palmer. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to The Voting Booth wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and tune in next time. Uh